From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to Spreading the... Uh, we have some big Trump fans in the online chat, but I like to keep it real. I like to keep it real. And obviously, he's a preference for me, always a preference to that which we are offered. But if I'm honest, I mean, I would take uh, Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump solely because he's always been anti, and I won't say anti-vax, he's been anti mRNA vaccines, and they're not even vaccines, they are gene therapies. And you can build a wall, you can fix the the economy, but you can't undo the damage that's been done by many of these vaccine shots. Some horrific data, some of that data coming out of New Zealand, and what he did was he got the data and he had certain batches, and some of these batches were up to about 20% of the people that had these particular batches ended up dead. And you can't make these numbers up. Other batches, you know, 5%, 10%, 14%. Some batches probably had almost zero casualties. But this is some of the data that's coming to life. And to go and push, and I don't care how better, much better you are than your competitor, than you are, you know, one of the Clintons, I don't care. The simple fact is if you push this, and even if you told the public that you had it and you should have it too, and by the way, Donald Trump, I don't believe you did. I think you might have had uh, a saline solution, if I'm honest. But, um, you know, again, I'd still vote for him if it, if he wins the primaries. I would vote for him over whoever the left is going to come up with. But at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, you know, this vaccine mRNA rollout was the most horrific thing that's ever happened to this planet. And I cannot, you know, I I cannot advocate massively for somebody who was behind a thing called Operation Warp Speed. And I do get some people are going to turn against me for saying that. And I know some people have had a bit of a crack at Omar. So, you know, not really a crack, just saying, take it easy on the Trump star. But the simple fact is, I, I just really, because I know how logical and sensible you people are, and I know how anti, you know, mRNA uh, gene therapy you are. And just remember how much he pushed it. That's all I'm going to say. And I'd really like you to have a bit of a think about that. And next time, and of course, if you are in America and the primaries are coming up and you do get other people, other alternatives, and I would like to think Ron DeSantis is one of those. I'd also like to think, and I know it won't happen, but I have heard stories that certain media people might be uh, <laughs> might be up for the second job. Wouldn't that be very nice? That would be terrific. But uh, yeah, a bunch of terrific people in the media being rejected historically as well, and for far less uh, palatable candidates. I mean, to say nothing of what happened to Dr. Mehmet Oz, you know, a renowned cardiothoracic surgeon being beaten by a guy who resembles Lurch, although is barely capable of answering a door for the Adams family. You know, it really is quite fetiment, really is quite horrific when you look at what's happening and the lack of common sense and uh, when it comes to voting. But uh, sometimes what we do is we pick the least worst option. And when that least worst option is so much better than the dreadful option, we think the least worst option is terrific. And that is the problem about perspective. You sometimes lose perspective. And when it comes to uh, speaking out, Donald Trump, he does talk out talk out on a lot of issues. But the big issues, I mean, I think I'd like to see people like uh, Ron Paul. You know, and I, I know he's you know not doing it anymore. His son, Rand Paul, both doctors, both senators. And I remember, I'll never forget, 
him being on the Jay Leno show, and I'm talking about the dad, Dr. Ron Paul, when he was running for the US presidency, and Jay Leno speaking to camera to his own audience and said, I don't think the American public is smart enough to vote for President Ron Paul. I don't think they're that smart. And he was saying that basically to the bulk of his own audience. And it was true. They weren't. They just weren't. The media was never going to push him. And he wasn't a big enough celebrity to get put on. I mean, do you have to go on, you know, um, get what's that show? I don't watch TV. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Or, you know, the one where you sack the employees. I, again, I don't watch mainstream TV. Do you have to go on one of those to be a household name? And then people go, yeah, I want you. It's sad that you have to do that. Nigel Farage doing that at the moment. I hope it works out well. It certainly worked out well for Donald Trump. But if that's what you need to do to get elected rather than just have terrific policies, wouldn't it be great just to have terrific policies? And I just ran for a party at the last election and we had some terrific uh, policies. But rather than focus on those, what did the media do? They wanted to focus and tell lies about Clive Palmer, saying he didn't um, pay the Queensland nickel workers, for example, which, and for those of you listening, those who don't know, this let me clean that up for you. Not only did he pay them, let's go back a few years and find out how he came to own Queensland nickel and the company had already shut down and it was already insolvent, that it was gone. It had no possibility of paying out any of its workers so instead, along comes this man, Clive Palmer, and he bought the company. He kept it going for another, I think, seven or eight years, paid those people a wage for seven or eight years. And then when the company proved to be non-viable at the end of that eight years, after a while and a bit of turmoil, I'll admit that, they eventually got paid too. But did the media give you the update on that and say, well, Clive's not such a bad guy after all, kept him employed for an extra eight years and paid him in the end. That would have uh, painted him in slightly a different light, I would have thought. But this is what we do. This is what we have to contend with in the media. And again, we lose perspective. Perspective, in my opinion, is everything. And I think it's something that we should always um, ha have a bar. You know, I mean, we know uh, when the local creek is flooding because we, we have a bar with a measure and we know where zero is. In nature, we have a zero in Celsius. You may not have that in America, but we certainly have it here. Zero is the point at which water freezes. Anything below that, it stays frozen. Anything above that, it thaws out. It becomes water. And I think when it comes to common sense and politics, we need to have a, an absolute zero level and you're either beyond it or you're above it. Simple as that. And it would be lovely to have that in our lives, I think. Now, if, let me pick a different one for today, for all of the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, then visit the What's On Events calendar at the TNT Radio website, and you can stay in touch where? Right here at TNT Radio. Abroad or at home, this is your news. By staying silent, we are part of the problem. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Somebody who never, ever loses perspective and has a tremendous take on things, uh, a true professional, and it is my absolute pleasure to have her as my co-commentator and guest every afternoon during the week, Gemma Cooper. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be back, Dean. And interesting, yeah, what you're saying about, you know, do you have to go on a television program to kind of garner credibility, um, you know, in the showbiz world so that you can get a footing in the political world? I think you're absolutely right. And you've nailed it there because what was that great uh, uh, writer, author and commentator? He's he's dead now. Marshall McLuhan way yeah. back in the 1970s and 80s. And he said it. He nailed it then. The medium is the message. 
That's that's how you get the message. So if you appear on television and you do all the things, you know, Donald Trump, The Apprentice, all of that, you go on the reality shows. That's how you get on in the world, because it's the little black box or now the digital screen that you carry around with you that conveys the authority. That's what gives you the power. That's the world we're in, whether we like it or not. I mean, we're we're now on video here at TNT because, you know, the bosses here understand the medium is the message. You have to appear on the right medium to garner that authority. It's a real sad indictment of where we are. Nothing to do with common sense, nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with policy and politics, like you say. It's all about image. It probably always was propaganda right from the days of Babylon, but we're just seeing it more now. It is. It's funny when we talk about perspective, you know, we say, oh, well, this one's the best. This is the best leader in the Labor Party. This is the best leader of the Liberal Party uh, or the Conservatives over, you know, wherever you happen to be. The simple point is it's a very small cross-section of the community, whether your population is 70 million or 28 million, as it is here in Australia. These are a group who have chosen their people. They've handpicked them. They've weeded out the ones they don't like who are too extreme one way or another. And what's left is that which they have presented us with. The one thing I do like about uh, America and having a presidency is it's open to individuals, if you will, to eventually rise to the top, unlike the party system that we we have, where you can simply, like, I'll give you a perfect example. Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister of Australia, they voted for the Liberal Party and all the various electorates across Australia at the federal election because they wanted a Prime Minister who was Tony Abbott. But the Liberal Party, he was a little bit too conservative, a little bit too real for them, you know, not part of the duopoly as much as some. So shortly after he gets in, they roll him for a guy named Malcolm Turnbull, who absolutely should have been in the Labor Party. And he was on record saying when he was younger, he didn't care which party he was in as long as one day he was to become the Australian Prime Minister. That tells you a lot. But again, you know, slim pickings out of 28 million people. And this is the party system. And this is why I hate it. And this is why I love, you know, the alternatives that we're given that we never tend to take, despite the fact that the message is absolutely br- brilliant in everything that we need. When do we wake up? Oh, well, we are waking up. I mean, that, that there is no doubt about that. Unfortunately, some people are moving away. I'll get to the story I'm going, I brought to the table in a minute. I, but I, I keep hijacking you, and I'm well, sorry. I, no, I think it's worth discussion because what, people are waking up, and part of the waking up process is the disenfranchised, disenfranchised feeling people have about politics where they think it doesn't matter. Red, blue, black, white, you vote for it, it's still two wings of the same bird. That is an, also a danger as you wake up. You disengage from the political process. I'm one of those people. I haven't voted for a very long time. I'm reconsidering that decision now, especially on a local level, because that's where I think you can affect change. But part of the waking up is seeing through the illusions of all of it, the control mechanisms of even either the cult of celebrity on television or that the political arena, which, you know, they're not really in charge. It's the lobbyists. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the corporations. It's the banks. It's, we all know this. Um, but as you know it, you kind of want to withdraw from it for a while, at least, until you can recalibrate yourself and decide how you want to kind of proceed and engage with the world moving forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Did I hear you say earlier that you hadn't voted for a while? Because it is non-compulsory over where you are. Yeah, I haven't voted. I didn't want to give my energy to the system. I didn't vote in the Brexit referendum. I thought I'm going to take a step back from all this. I didn't really want to um, give my authority over to another institution to decide how my life would be lived. I thought I'm I'm just disengaged. It was part of my own awakening process. I thought this is all an illusion. It's all a pantomime. It's all to give us the illusion of choice. Oh, vote for this guy, you'll have change. Vote for that guy, you have change. Uh, You eventually realize once you get to a certain age, 
hang on a minute, nothing's changed ever. I'm in my 50s. Nothing's really changed for the people on the bottom yeah. ever. Always the people on the top, it, is, it benefits. Not for. And once you have that moment, you think, oh, I'm done. I'm done with this. It's like walking away from a bad marriage or something. You think, I cannot give this my energy anymore. I, as I say, though, I am reconsidering that decision now, especially on more local politics, because then, then you can just see some tangible results and you have more of a voice. Well, so I, I, we'll I hope you do. And even more so because you live in a country where it is non-compulsory voting, your vote counts even more because here where it is compulsory, you get the handout brigade and all they care about who's going to give me the most free stuff. That's who they vote for. And they're so lazy. They love their free stuff, but they're so lazy that they wouldn't go otherwise, not because they they don't care. They're just lazy. They couldn't be bothered. They're too busy doing whatever they, they're doing. And I love that it's not compulsory it, where you are. I would love for it not to be compulsory here because then we'd only get people who are fair income one way or another. And I think we'd, we'd get a more accurate, maybe not an accurate, but a more accurate outcome politically. But I mean, I would beseech anybody, especially intelligent people such as yourself to, I mean, I say always go and vote, vote against the system, vote for the one person they'd like you to vote for the least. I think that's a big middle digit, the bird to the system. And it, it's worth it just for that. Uh, very possibly, very possibly. It, it's worth a bigger discussion away from the away from the studio, I think, between me and you, because uh, there's a lot to bring to the table on this one. Yeah. But the story really that I wanted to say today, I mean, it's Friday. Let's try and um, bring a little tiny piece of good news to the uh, conflict in the Middle yeah. East. Whatever your opinion of the Middle Eastern war, whether it's a distraction to stop us looking at what's also going on around the world behind the scenes, you know, digital IDs, all that kind of thing. The fact is, you know, the, the horrendous loss of life. And today, the UN Security Council is, of course, meeting to decide on whether to call for an immediate ceasefire now in Gaza. On Wednesday, the UN Secretary General, uh, he invoked Article 99 of the UN Charter, which allows him to bring to the Council's attention any matter which, in his opinion, threatens the maintenance of international peace and security. No one's done this for decades. Nobody has invoked Article 99. He's done it. Um, and he said, you know, we have to now vote for an immediate ceasefire. What is interesting is in the last few hours, we've had the UN Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, who's doing a, who did a joint press conference with our own new Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron. He, he is really kind of you know, bearing in mind America and the UK are friends of Israel, they're always supporting Israel, but he is saying now there is a huge gap between Israel's stated intention to protect civilians and the reality now of how the war is actually unfolding. That was at a joint press conference a few hours ago in the United States in Washington. <clears throat> he did say, Blinken, that Israel has an obligation to do everything possible to put a premium on protecting civilians now and maximizing humanitarian assistance. The humanitarian chief of the UN, Martin Griffith, has said that you know humanitarian deliveries are just not getting through now. They're being stopped. They're being they're being diverted. The likelihood is you know you will be attacked if you try and bring in humanitarian aid. And he's saying there are there are now two uh, horsemen of the apocalypse in the in this. It's the conflict itself and the disease and the situation in, in Gaza. So that, you know the U.S., which has always backed Israel, is saying look we need to calm this down and it'd be yeah. interesting to see how this vote goes for this immediate ceasefire today bearing in mind there was one uh you know quite near the start of the conflict but let's hope just for the people's sake you know we're heading towards christmas and hanukkah has just started in israel with jewish people and you know it, it's about humanity it's about people the policies that are being you know inflicted in the middle east it, as of course it's the people on the bottom the 99.9 percent .9 who are suffering yeah. And Gemma, I think 
a good point you make. I mean, let's get to the weekend on a positive note. They tried to catch Donald Trump out and say, which side do you support in that particular conflict? And he said, I support people not dying. And I, and I think that's the absolute correct answer. If no one's dying, I think that's a great outcome. And uh, let's hope that it comes to that as soon as humanly possible. I hope you have a terrific weekend, Gemma. Uh, we'll be chatting again on Monday. And all of you listening and watching, stay with us because we're going to be uh, talking to uh, John Larder and Paul McGowan a little bit later in the program as well. And we'll be taking your calls as well if you'd like to ring in on one 670 If my memory serves me correctly, and I'm pretty sure I got that, one 800 Give us a call. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I... If I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk if you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, don't spread COVID misinformation. That's the government's job. Don't do that. Uh, we're going to talk to our next guest, somebody who did the exact opposite, who kept it real over the last three years, somebody who advocated for not just your health, but when he advocated for his own health and the health of his family, found himself unemployed. He is an advocate for choice. He's opposed to mandatory vaccines. Not that we were exposed to vaccines. What we were exposed to was a mRNA gene therapy. I hate calling it a vaccine. I'm talking, of course, about the fantastic SACTS paramedic, John Larder, part of Hoodies Heroes, and we've got him with us today. Hey, John, how are you? G'day, Dean. What Wonderful to be here, mate. Mate, it's been too long. And, mate, I, I don't like calling it a vaccine. It somehow um, makes it seem like it's a little bit more real, a little bit more credible, less harmful, and it certainly never was that. It wasn't a proven technology. It was a brand-new technology. And why would I call it a, a gene therapy? Because that's exactly what the inventor of it, Dr. M Robert Malone, one of three inventors, sometimes people like to, you know, pull you up on that, three inventors, if I'm correct. Um, that's what he said about it. It's a experimental gene therapy. I would urge you not to take it and certainly don't give it to your kids. That's his message and one that was uh, still ringing in my ears and I'll never forget. Oh. 
Well, he wasn't wrong, was he? Uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we've been absolutely uh, stooped by these by these grubs uh, that have just sold us the greatest fraud uh, in world uh, world history. I mean, th- this is uh, this is worse than Nazi Germany, as far as I'm concerned. And what we're seeing is is horrific. Uh, the people that are dying, the the ramifications, uh, the the mental trauma, the uh, the economy. Uh, I mean, you name it. Everywhere you turn in society at the moment, there's there's a there's a a major um, road bump, and I, I don't see it improving anytime soon. It's uh, it's really really uh, going to be a difficult uh, navigation out of this. Yeah, mate, it really is. You said it's worse than Nazi Germany. It is. And I couldn't have imagined our country coming to, A, what it is now, what we had to go through. And it was a very transitional period because nothing after seems, doesn't feel quite the way that it used to feel. And uh, it's one of those in, you know, it's tangible from a from a mental perspective. I mean, you can't quite put your finger on it, but nobody quite feels right. Not to mention the health aspects. I mean, many of the friends that I've got who were coerced into, because you can imagine me uh, hearing that any of my friends were going to get this thing. I pull them all aside or phone them. I spent an inordinate amount of time on the phone trying to talk people out of it. Some you just couldn't because they had to put food on the table. They had to pay a mortgage. They had families to look after. But almost all of them are telling me the same thing. I don't quite physically feel the same after the shot. And I'm hearing that from almost everyone. Yeah, look, the health system's just been completely ripped apart. I I mean, I was speaking with um, Derek Fox, squadron leader Derek Fox, who you've interviewed a number of times. Now, Derek was telling me the other night that his poor wife, um, Mandy, or partner, uh, she had a fall and uh, suffered a head injury. And she was bleeding profusely. Um, She was breathing abnormally. Turned out that she had a, a bleed on the brain. It took them two and three quarter hours to get an ambulance to inner city Melbourne. Now, wow. this is the sort of uh, nonsense that's, that's that's now happening because of the mismanagement and uh, and fraud that's gone on with COVID. There's, there's nothing surer. I mean, the, the money that uh, should be going into resourcing those sorts of um, uh, essential services just isn't there. Uh, you've got rid of all these paramedics, doctors, nurses, the allied health professionals, uh, and and so many other professions because of these ridiculous mandates. Uh, the fire rescue people in Victoria still out of work. Uh, they're sending threats to the HR department uh, to them, uh, saying that if they if they get interviewed on programs like yours, they'll be uh, they'll be hit with the code of conduct. I mean, <laughs> it oh. is, it's just unbelievable. It is. And what's even worse, I mean, there you are telling me this horror story, and it is a horror story. Somebody waiting, you know, more than 10 minutes for an ambulance, I think is a horror story. To wait a couple of hours is beyond that. And then you've got people who would love, I would imagine, to leave places post Dan Andrews in Victoria to go up north and live in the sunshine, stayed up there. And there they are with massive incentives, trying to get paramedics up there, stealing them from New South Wales, stealing them. And it wouldn't be that hard to do just to offer them the same remuneration. But here they are, $10,000 cash incentives and bonuses if you stay for a certain period of time. And again, much better pay. I think it's, um, what is it, ten dollars or $20,000 a year more, if my memory serves me correctly. Well, so true, Dean. Uh, but look, the health services union who are fighting for these paramedics, um, you know, I, I congratulate them, uh, you know, for trying to uh, get uh, parity with uh, other states. Uh, they should be recognised for the excellent work that they do. Yeah. 
But these unions are an absolute disgrace. I mean, they have uh, they've sold out people like me. Uh, they they uh, they were happy to take our money, but when it came to human rights, they they uh, they weren't interested in defending uh, uh, the employee. But when it comes to a pay rise, they're happy to stick their hand up and make all the noise. <laughs> yes, it's beyond belief. Uh, you know, and the management of these companies, these uh, organisations like Dr Dominic Morgan from New South Wales Ambulance, I mean, these these people should be out on their ear. I mean, they've, they've gone along with this COVID fraud. They've mismanaged public money uh, with all these PCR tests, with all these um, mandates, with the uh, masks, the whole lot, the whole uh, box and dice with this. And, you know, if they hadn't, if they hadn't have uh, done that, and they'd acted responsibly, uh, we would be in a far better position today to be funding uh, that without any uh, without any fanfare at all. But uh, here we find ourselves, paramedics uh, threatening uh, strike action and uh, not picking up patients uh, all because of a pay rise. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a funny old world. And it really is. And so many of the essential uh, services, whether it be paramedics, police, teachers, for example, their unions were in total lockstep. Absolutely no support for a, I would consider it a significant percentage, probably in reality up to 20% who are probably high who didn't want to, you know, mm. get vaccinated. Obviously a lot less who some were prepared to succumb because they had to. But at the end of the day, their co-workers didn't respect their opinion, didn't go out in strike in sympathy for them. But uh, it wasn't long after, again, the pay rises came along. Oh, can you come and march with us and have a day off for pay rises? And I hope that all those who um, who were stood down during that period who did return, especially the teaching, I hope that they didn't go to any of those um, protest marches. I hope they didn't support their fellow workers at a time when and uh, not long after, they didn't reciprocate. Mate, when it comes to uh, New South Wales ambulance jobs, um, mate, tell us what, what's happening with the job posts. They're in dire need at the moment, aren't they? Well, they, they haven't got enough paramedics. Uh, they haven't got enough nurses. They haven't got enough healthcare staff across Australia. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're trying to bring in people from overseas. But here we have a, a ridiculous situation where uh, my, my, my current case is still before the Industrial Relations Commission still. in New South Wales, yeah, and my wow. wife. Uh, now, uh, that was last heard in May, uh, and they reserved their decision, and it's now December. Uh, it, it, you know, they can't be they can't be fair dinkum about this, can they? I mean, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that this uh, vaccine was never safe and effective. We've been vindicated at every uh, step here. But they are still, they are still uh, going to uh, out of spite, uh, and I don't know what else you could call it. Uh, refuse to allow us to return to work uh, and allow two and a half plus hour response times uh, in places like Melbourne uh, to get an ambulance to somebody with a head injury. I, I, I mean, you just couldn't make this stuff up, Dean. I mean, it's. You'd think we're in a third world country, feeding them. You would. And, mate, at the end of the day, we have to look at the simple fact that there are people who are probably passing away. Imagine, or even people who may have had a stroke, where it's imperative that they have that essential care immediately in the time, as time goes by, their outcome, you know, is significantly worse. And you would prioritise good health outcomes based on that. You'd put all the rest of it aside, come back to work, we'll work out later if we were right or wrong, 
right now it's all about people and good health outcomes. But no, they can't do that. They're going to double down. And when it comes to to health issues, mate, I've long since advocated, and I'm talking about back in mid 2020. Uh, you know, you've got your medical experts, and they've got theirs. The one group who were never consulted and absolutely had to be were statisticians. And if you were to take a statistician, if you ever get your day, you know, in in a in a court or a tribunal to uh, have your say, mate, take a statistician with you because they will provide the most devastating uh, information. You don't need a medical degree to understand numbers and percentages and and um, and see graphs because it really is quite telling. And it shall uh, be the thing that brings them undone: numbers, statistics, and data. Speaking of which, mate, heart failure up nearly 900 and something, almost a thousand percent as US Navy uh, airmen uh, have been getting the government data out over there. And I would suggest that that is across the board for uh, all people that have had this experiment done upon them. But uh, the military data is really tight. It's very accurate. They sought to uh, hide it from us for a while. But now that that data is accessible again, and those who are gutsy enough to share it, it really is devastating to their narrative. Well, I I mean, that that information's come from a captain in the US Navy, uh, Ted Macy, uh, who uh, has highlighted this. I mean, the, the, uh, the alarm bell should be absolutely ringing. And if anyone, anyone wants to disbelieve or think that people are going down rabbit holes, about the this information that's coming out of New Zealand from the whistleblower there, Barry Young, they need to go and take a cold shower, I tell you, because everything that we are seeing, whether it be from uh, people like Captain Ted Macy, uh, from numerous other uh, uh, sources, even anecdotally tells us that that information out of New Zealand is very, very accurate. And uh, there's no way in the world, Dean, that they would have clamped down on that guy within 24 hours. Oh, yeah. If he was just some uh, just some bloke that was uh, f- telling a f- telling a few porky pies, I mean, they know that that data can unravel this whole mess and expose them and put them in jail. In fact, they they should be facing the death penalty. These people. I mean, we we, we need to seriously think about reintroducing that because, fair dinkum, these people should rot in hell. They they I, I don't know what. I just get very, very uh, sad. I mean, you you can understand, Dean, can't you, that uh, people make mistakes. Yeah. But these people, they're beyond making mistakes. They they are complicit in this whole mess. They have had uh, any number of red flags that uh, should have been acted on. But no, they just they just soldier on, soldier on. People like Brad Hazard, Kerry Chant, and uh, all those other people uh, that have uh, carried out this songbook, they should be absolutely ashamed of themselves and they should go before a Royal Commission. Um, as soon as that happens, the better as far as I'm concerned and uh, they can have their day in court and uh, hopefully uh, all this will be exposed. Yeah, it'd be nice, mate. The reason that they don't have uh, too many politicians over in China willing to sell their country out is because if they do, they have a very speedy trial. They are found to be either guilty or not guilty. And if they are found guilty, mate, they are dispensed with in the ultimate way possible in a very short period of time. They're not, they're not left to uh, sit there for 10 years and think about their actions and come up with excuses. Uh, it's how they deal with it. And that's, it's probably what we need to do. Um, when it comes to people who would, uh, casually, 
just allow people to go possibly to their death and ignore data. And that data was out as early as mid-2020. Some of the vaccine stuff that was out there was horrific and there's no way they were unaware of it. But uh, mate, as, as you said, with this whistleblower, and it's a terrific point that you made, uh, you know, they wouldn't have clamped down on him nearly as hard if he was just some nut job. And let's let's extrapolate on that. If he was some nut job, what they would have done was used him as the face of this lunatic fringe who yeah. brings about fake data. And, you know, look at this guy, look at the crap that he, this is, he is the actual data, but no, they shut it down and it's out there. But uh, the mainstream media, a lot of people, the, uh, you know, 80% of people, if I didn't hear it on the Channel 9 or I didn't hear it on the ABC or the BBC over in the UK, it didn't happen. It's not real. Unfortunately, people still think like that. They don't understand that that level of media is owned. It's 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 uh, it's controlled. And the white answer all throughout that media would work. Everywhere you turn, Dean, that data is supported. I mean, we look at the excess deaths that any number of our politicians, uh, Jared Rennick, uh, Senator Alex Anik, Malcolm Roberts, they're all talking about excess deaths. Uh, we, we've asked for an excess death uh, review in our Senate. I mean, so so it is a real issue. Now, how can you how can you now say that this guy in New Zealand that has released this information, he's got the batch numbers. Yeah. You can actually see that uh, certain batches have had a more devastating effect on the community than others. We need to uh, ex expose uh, what's happened in Australia because if they've got that level of uh, data available in New Zealand, they have got that here in Australia. And, th and there is no question uh, that the government should be releasing that. If they've got nothing to hide, if this bloke's just some bloke going down a rabbit hole, well, show us the data in Australia. Yeah. Let us have a look at it. Let us analyse it. And let's, uh, let's, let's just get experts to sit around a table uh, and say, well, look, this is what's going on. Uh, I, I mean, that's the fair and reasonable thing to do. We're not asking for, uh, for much. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of being transparent. And they won't even they won't even allow that. Yeah. And John, as you pointed out, I mean, some of those batch numbers had mortality rates at near 20 percent. That is beyond horrific. It is data that is verifiable. It's out there. You can find out who had those batch numbers, contact all those people, find out if how many of them are still with us or who have had negative outcomes. And it is very verifiable. If we let this go too too long, as we are finding time after time, sorry, we don't have that data anymore. It got lost. We got hacked. You know, they'll come up with something because again, it is devastating. And this guy, if this goes to court, um, I mean, he'll need that data to vindicate himself, but I would imagine he won't get the chance to do that some way or another. It will be made inaccessible or unverifiable. Could you imagine, Dean? Uh, I mean, people have said to me, oh, but the majority of these people are probably elderly. I, I mean, well, they might be. I, I'm not certain what the data says. But regardless of that, uh, whether it's had an effect on the elderly or it hasn't, it's still had an effect. Uh, if, if 30 people... Uh, who were vaccinated on the same day at the same facility are now dead. That is a massive, massive red flag. That's not that's not conspiracy theory, because I tell you now, if somebody went into a pie shop at Balmain and ordered 30 mushroom pies for the nursing home patients on the bus and they were all dead within a week, the police <laughs> air wing would be over the top, the Channel 7 helicopter, the Channel 9 helicopter, they'd be they'd be parked outside that uh bakery for the next month but they don't want to look at this 
Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to make a joke at, uh, about mushroom pies with all that's going on with mushrooms at, at the moment. But, mate, yeah, and as you said, with the age data, isn't it amazing? Because they would dismiss that and say, oh, they were elderly people. They were expected to die. But, of course, back when the narrative required them to find numbers of people who were dying so they could prove just how scary this, this I call it fluvid, fluvid was, um, those numbers, despite the fact that most of those who died had three or more comorbidities, or the, the most of them, were older than the average life expectancy. But if you and I would have argued that then because it suited us, that wouldn't have been uh, appropriate, would it? It's amazing how the narrative changes, what data is um, relevant and what isn't, and how long it should be relevant for. Always suits their narrative, never ours, and never that of the truth or common sense. Well, Tony Nicolick just released some data out of the UK, which said that 92% of the deaths that occurred were with people that had three jabs or more. Yep. Now, that that absolutely correlates to what we were seeing. When Brad Hazard last put out the data about the vaccination status of patients in hospitals, which was uh, towards the end of December 2022, there was nobody in hospital that was unvaccinated or in an intensive care, but there was 810 people in in an intensive in in the hospital and 50 something in the intensive care that had had three or more doses. Now that tells you everything. And the more doses you have, the more likely you are to get sick. And John, you could probably have produced much more data than that as an ongoing basis. But as we know, that data where we could find out how many people were in the hospital, the ICU, or who had died based on their vaccination status, because it was so, so devastating, it's subsequently been pulled uh, by the New South Wales government from, from their health website. Well, and Alan Jones released information too on his program uh, a couple of weeks back that said that uh, it, they were UK statistics, these were. There were 69,400 and something people died within 28 days of being vaccinated in the UK. And I think it was in the order of 178,000 or thereabouts died within 60 days. Now, that they are horrendous figures. When you think that an entire fleet of aeroplanes, the Boeing 737 MAX, were grounded on the background of two fatal uh, crashes that killed 343 people, grounded worldwide. Yeah. yeah, mate, horrific stuff. And, mate, we notice discrepancies, anomalies, if you will, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm in my sort of, you know, early to mid-50s, and I'd never been to a, a mate's funeral, I, you know, and, you know, touch wood, I, I hope I don't have to go to another one for a long, long time. But um, I had to go to four last year, and if I'm honest, I did ask, and one family didn't, want to disclose, but the other three were more than happy to answer the question, you know, had so-and-so been vaccinated recently? And one of them, one of them who died of, of heart failure, um, absolutely was in no uh, capacity to answer for himself. He had a, uh, a diabetic incident, but certainly nothing to do with his heart, had to have an operation, again, completely unheart related, and they refused to do the operation unless he caught up on his shots. And there he was a week and a half later, passed away one of the biggest few towns, Newtown, sorry, the biggest funerals Newtown has, has ever seen. And so the reason I bring this up is whether it's your friends that are in bad health, whether it's funerals that you may have been to, or whether it's athletes dropping dead, young people dropping dead. And of course, you know, people who would give a counter argument to what we're leading, uh, leading into is, oh, that happens all the time. It does, but not to the point where it's anomalous and we're used to those base level numbers. You know, it's unfortunate, sad, it's life. But when it happens disproportionately high to the point where you can't help but notice, and they still don't want you to know or think that it could be this, 
it's just horrific. I mean, and you're getting people, and I know some people are drawing a very long bow. Uh, people such as Jimmy Barnes in rather bad health at the moment in hospital had to cancel his tour. But a lot of people obviously in that mindset, because when I had a look at the news.com.au Facebook page, all the comments underneath, I'd say two thirds of them were very sympathetic, get well, Jimmy and whatnot. And every other Third comment was, uh, you know, did you have the jibby jabby? This is a bit of karma. Not, not me saying this. These are some of the comments. The next day that was completely sanitized and all of those were gone. But a lot of people up to a third of the population, absolutely. Um, not just thinking that, but having very little sympathy for those who may have pushed this on others using their influence. And that's hence why I'm using him as an example. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what the people are thinking, doing and saying. Mm. Well, I think you're right. I, you've only got to look at there was a uh, a post from the World Health Organization, uh, uh, you know, encouraging people to get uh, the jab, and and the comments on there were were absolutely flabbergasted. <laughs> like there was hardly a comment supporting it, and there was thousands. Uh, so, I, I think people are slowly uh, becoming aware of what's going on, and uh, you know, people are now uh, being more aware that you know shingles and all these other uh, immune problems and and uh, you know that you just don't go to the go to the doctor or GP uh, without any symptoms and find out that you've got uh, you know stage four cancer uh, is a normal event uh, so anecdotally there's there's definitely uh, a lot of that happening I mean we spoke with Harvey Rish Dr Harvey Rish an epidemiologist uh, from Yale University, uh, who specialises in cancer research, and and he said, well, look, anecdotally, he, he believes that it's a real problem, and that uh, you know, billions of people could die from cancer as a result of this mRNA technology. I mean, it's, if they're not listening to people like him, who who will they listen to? Yeah, mate, really horrific stuff. I mean, the fact that we're seeing ads around the world, you know, telling you to uh, telltale signs of cancer, uh, you know, kids riding along their push bikes, young children, ads saying watch out for the signs of heart attack in children. I mean, why did we ever, since when did we really ever have to worry about that? It was always something that was uh, very rare, thank God. But now they're doing ads to tell parents to look out. And you know, maybe I'm drawing too long a bow. I don't know. But uh, again, anomaly, anomaly, anomaly. And I can't help but notice. Uh, you could neither, mate. You uh, took a stand. I thank you for it. And uh, on behalf of Australia, John Larder, part of Hoodies Heroes, check him out online. And if they're, they're ever at a live event, go and see John and Graham, or AKA Hoodie and uh, Johnny Larder. Thank you, mate. Very much appreciate you coming on. And we'll do it again soon. Take care, guys. We'll be back after this with Paul McGowan. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. It's a truism that bears repeating, that everything the left says is either a lie or is based on a lie. Take, for example, the whopper that we need to eliminate beef cattle in order to save the planet from global warming. Even the University of California Davis knows how ridiculous this is. A report they recently issued says that laboratory-grown beef poses a 25 times greater threat to the environment than traditionally raised cattle. How can it be that we need to replace the pasture with the petri dish in light of this? Because facts don't matter to the left. They never let facts get in the way of pushing their agenda. And what is that agenda? It's control. As the godfather of globalism, Henry Kissinger said, who controls the food controls the people. That's what getting people to eat bugs is all about. That's what getting people to eat frankenmeat's all about. Control, not the environment. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea.
for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yes, and I was just talking about just stop oil protesters off air. They make me sick. They really make me sick. How are you people over in the UK? Put up with them and that right foot stays on the brake pedal. I don't know. I'm not advocating to hit the other pedal. I'm just saying. Just saying. Uh, my next guest, Paul McGowan, uh, a person who, who does the right thing, an ex-military guy, cancelled artist and social commentator, a bit like me on commercial radio. Keep getting the sack. Why? Because I like to tell the truth. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. And I wear that as a badge of honour. And I know this man deserves many of them for his service. And we do thank you for it, Paul McGowan. Welcome to the program. Oh, great to be back. Great to be back. Now, talking about losing jobs and getting a sack, let's talk about Suella Braverman. Let's do it. That was not that was not a resignation speech. Remember, she was sacked. Sacked, And yeah. she was sacked for saying what the British people wanted her to say. She was actually sacked for trying to deliver what she promised, what the Tories promised. And the Tories don't seem to be very keen on it. Like, Rwanda's not, not going to fly. It's just not going to fly. There's no, nothing going to go there. But what we can do is what Suella said, leave the ECHR and just write our own bill and when we have our own rights act. Because yep. it's ridiculous. You can't have people going in and out of prison for sexual offences, for all different types of offences, and being left. They should be deported immediately, and everybody knows that. And it's got to the point now where you can see Ireland is about to erupt. Oh, yeah. I mean, 20% of Ireland's people are foreign-born. I mean, and every time there's a crime, they blame it onto the Irishmen. And because they never say who they are, of course, they just say Irishmen. They're now they're misogynistic, they're all these things, but they're not. You know, obviously there's some in every nation, but come on, Leo Varadka is actually targeting the native Irish people. They're his target. He doesn't care about what they think. He cares about this lovely multicultural world, which is not working because it's been mass migration, mass migration. And they're not doctors. They're not nurses. They're not scientists. They're, they're, they're just people with bad educations, majoritarily, especially, especially the people coming over on the boats. They're, you know, and on top of that, they've come from France. They've paid money to go on the boats. And yet... So, somehow, you know, they haven't got any passports or anything. They couldn't, they couldn't if they had a passport, they would have just flown there and got off a £49. They're obviously criminals that are coming over that are hiding their identity. That's why we've got such a high crime rate. Mate, if I had to pick a country that was going to blow up in Western Europe, not Eastern Europe, um, I would have picked Ireland. I know a lot of Irish people, you know, some of the best blokes I've ever met to go down the pub with. But, you know, a lot of them, when they're serious, they are not people that I would like to mess with. They'll only take so much before they push back and they are pushing way too hard. The government I'm talking about pushing way too hard and that is going to blow up. You're huge. It's going to be huge. And I don't think it's going to turn out the way the government would have hoped. No, I don't think it is either. Considering they're looking for somebody that wrote Irish Lives Matter on a wall, like he's some sort of major criminal, whoever did it. 
I mean, it's just absolutely. I, I keep expecting Rod Serling to step out and say, You've entered the Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's just absolutely ludicrous because um, I don't know how the Irish people, you saw what happened the other week when they rioted. Those rioters, those looters, they were actually multicultural. If you look at the videos on YouTube, yes. they weren't just white Irish, young white Irish people. But no, I'm sure lots of criminals used that as a vehicle to go and do a lot of looting and stealing. Yeah. It seems to be happening all over the place now. I, I, two of my friends wrote a book, um, Richard and Fred Fairbrass, and we were going up to their book launch um, at the Hard Rock in London. As Dominique and my, my girlfriend, Dominique and myself, were walking down the road, all we saw was gangs, so confident, rushing into stores, ripping everything out, and then instead of running away and escaping with the lot of it, they'd go and do another store and another <laughs> store and another store. And we're just yeah. watching like that, and there's no police, and no, and it's so common, nobody even turned their head to look. People are just walking past like nothing was going on. I haven't been to London for quite a long time. I used to live there years ago, and it's totally unrecognisable. I, I, I took a drive up the road we used to live in 20-odd years, 30 years ago now. God, I'm getting old. Um, well, and it used to be a lovely little Victorian street. All the little gardens were done nice, everything. I drove up there again, and there's a gang at the front, loads of girls in pushchairs. They check you as you walk out, as you're driving up the road. The, all the houses look like they were beautiful houses. They look totally run down now. They fly tip into their own garden onto the street. It's as rough as houses. It's just absolutely, yeah. um, I didn't want to get out of the car, put it that way. And I used to think, God, this was such a lovely little street. And people are living on top of each other. So the tensions are rock high everywhere. And the knife crime is just totally out of control. And let's be honest, they're not little pen knives. They're bloody great machetes. And it's just totally out of control. And people just don't know what to do. Because you can't, you know, you can't, you, you cannot say anything because you don't know what weaponry anyone's got if somebody does confront you. And that, yeah. that's the problem. And crime is just through the roof. And when it comes to that, which we cannot say, I think that's the problem when it comes to us politically or with our, you know, pen or pencil when it comes to uh, voting time at the ballot box, because we have been too quiet for too long. And uh, recently somebody said, you know, we will have ourselves to blame for our silence and our, quote, rank cowardice because we've been too scared to speak up for fear of being called a name. Uh, we're going to create problems. Our great-grandchildren are going to have to combat. But, I mean, it looks like uh, the Irish may be taking it uh, a little bit earlier, kicking off a little bit earlier than the rest of the world, because I've seen what's happening in Ireland. I would suggest that'll be happening in most Western nations um, across the world at some point. I didn't see it coming for 10 or 20 years. But then again, what we've endured the last three years, I didn't see coming for another 20. So where they seem to have ramped up the uh, the schedule somewhat when it comes to global globalist governance, the Ponzi scheme, the mass immigration, the, the looting of our economy and all the fake science that they're using to send our grandkids broke. I just wonder when we're going to wake up. But the Irish, mate, they've picked the wrong the wrong uh, horse with this one. It's they've really going to blow up. Fight. That's what they've done. Yep. Um, I, I think the whole point of this is to erode, totally erode national identity. Um, I mean, if we ever got into a war, which we do quite often, just say we got into a major war, in the East. Now, who, who's going to fight for us? How, how, out of all these people that we've brought in, who's actually going to join the army and fight for us? Because I don't think anyone will. I mean, they don't seem to like England at all. Um, I mean, 
they just got no respect for our war memorials. I can't believe that actually happened. They actually climbed on our war memorials. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's just, um, and if you said anything, then, oh, you're some sort of a bigot or a racist. But hold on, have some respect. I don't, I don't go, I wouldn't dream of going climbing on a war memorial in any country. I just wouldn't. I mean, it's not what you do. But um, I, sp- I bumped into one of my old majors. And I said, what do you think we should do? And he goes, I think we should send in, send in the troops. And Suella Braveman even said, we've got to bring the military in to help us with this. Because yep. we do need to help. Because the, the police are captured in this country. The police are as woke as you can possibly get. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, and you see them at the Just Stop Oil protest, giving them cups of coffee. I've even seen them offer them a sandwich before when they've been glued to the floor. What wow. are they doing? I mean, I've never known anything like it. I mean, I think we should start a protest group protesting Just Stop Oil, and I think we should be gluing their house locks together, graffitiing on the front of their house. Yeah. Just let them know what it's like, because it's just absolutely ludicrous. And the amount of money it's costing the taxpayer, everything's just out of control. Everything. I mean, I can see, I've, I've watched Britain over the last, well, 30 years, well, good 30 years, just total crumble. The, the, the social fabric is just so weak right now. It just could be torn like so easily, because people are literally living on the edge. Yeah, mate, it's really horrific. I, I, have you personally had to uh, endure any of these uh, just stop oil imbeciles gluing themselves to the road and walking down the street at a snail's pace? I remember those videos where you see ambulances and pregnant women in the car trying to get to hospital, people with, with heart palpitations and, and chest pains, and, and that can't get to hospitals because of these absolute bloody cretins blocking the road. It's and- manslaughter in my eyes, that's manslaughter. Oh, yeah. And they are they are doing this, and they know they're doing it. And I've seen people interviewing them saying, "There's a there's an ambulance there," and they're like, "So what?" I mean, that is manslaughter. Yeah, and mate, when they interview these people, it's very much. I always think you can judge somebody's personality how if they're telling the truth, lying. Certainly, their IQ, you know, by looking in their eyes. And these people all across the board, despite the fact some of them have some pretty good credentials that are ex professors or whatever, but they must have a good memory because they don't seem to have a functional brain. The lights are on, but nobody's home. They seem to be absolute cretins. And I would suggest... Automatons. (laughs) Automatons. They're totally brainwashed. And have you ever, when you see them there in the summer in their T-shirts, have you noticed all the arms are baggy on their T-shirts because they've got these skinny little arms? (laughs) They're just out there, literal, the biggest weaklings you can possibly find in society, and they've made them into one weakling gang, and they just sit there and just glue themselves to roads and walk slowly. I mean, it's like a funeral procession. I I mean... Paul, I I reckon if you were... Dragging them around. Yeah. If you were a psychologist, you could write a thesis on them. I would guarantee they were the kids who got beat up at school. They didn't like the bullies. So now they've become the bullies and the general, the general population, they represent those who, you know, called them a name or did whatever at school. But it is beyond horrific. I want to chat with you again real soon just about them and on some ideas. I've got some great ideas, devices even, to combat them. Go buy some air horns, but we can elaborate on that at another time because, mate, we've only got about 30 seconds and I and we do need to get on. But, mate, I would love to talk again, Paul, if we could, just about the yeah, Just Stop no Oil people. I think that would be Yeah, I'll, I'll, lovely, I'll do a special on Just Stop Oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love it. it. 
I love it. Everybody, that is Paul McGowan, ex-British ex, uh, military artist and social commentator, a guy who, like me, is used to being cancelled. But you know what? We wear it as a badge of honour because we can't help but tell the truth. And if you can't handle it, well, you wouldn't be listening to TNT Radio, would you? Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Everybody watching and listening, do that as well. And something I'll just quickly do if I've got enough time, I held up. I'm holding a green device in my hand so you can't see it. This is an Apple TV remote. And you buy an Apple TV, you plug it in, you push the button, and you say, YouTube TNT Radio live stream. It'll bring it right up. Best thing you can do, I've got eight of them in my house, and they're about, I don't know, maybe a hundred and something pound, about 250 Australian dollars. A terrific device, and you can sit at home and watch us every afternoon. The fantastic, phenomenal Katie Hopkins coming up next. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you all on Monday. <laughs>